You're listening, listening to, to Bible, Bible Plus. Bible Plus from Seesaw. Bible Plus is a podcast featuring short, daily discussions of every chapter in the New Testament. Bible Plus is designed to increase Bible reading, understanding, and enjoyment. Get more out of the Bible. Hey guys, welcome back to Bible Plus Podcast. Today we're in Acts chapter 15, which is a pivotal chapter in the narrative development of the book of Acts and in the thrust of the gospel as it breaks out of the confines of Jerusalem and even Judea and Samaria and explodes out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember, Jesus told his disciples in chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that is the thrust, the the vector of the gospel with its direction and magnitude. It is upsetting the world. It's revolutionizing uh, people's lives. And it is pointed to the ends of the earth, to the horizons on the sky. That is what Jesus has in view. And yet, unfortunately, the disciples are not as clear as Jesus on this point. They are uh, slow to understand this and slow to take this up. And eventually, even as they do, there is resistance and opposition um, to this this direction of the gospel. And it is uh, asked in basically two parts in the book of Acts. In chapter 10 and 11, it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the house of Cornelius, and that is the inclusion of the Gentiles. And yet in the very next chapter, chapter 11, verse uh, 2, that very inclusion is disputed. It says, those of the circumcision, now that is a group of people who are promoting circumcision as a practice, it says those of the circumcision disputed with Peter, right, when they hear that the Gentiles have received the word of God. So they dispute that very inclusion, and that is uh, trying to resolve the question, who can be saved, right? Who can be saved? And that chapter does resolve the issue, and it's recognized that Gentiles are part of the one people of God, right? The one body of Christ, one God and one people of God, Jews and Gentiles together, right? God has uh, gone beyond his own people's uh, slowness, right? He even interrupts the sermon that Peter is preaching in, in chapter 10 to the house of Cornelius, and the Spirit comes upon them, right? And and everyone who sees that is shocked, but they say, who can who can resist and, and disagree with God. Who can refuse that, right? But chapter 15 today is answering a different question, and that is, how can we be saved? Chapter 10 and 11 answers the question, who can be saved? Are Gentiles included? Yes, they are. Chapter 15 says, how can they be saved? What must they do? And this becomes a problem. And that brings us to chapter 15, which is basically broken down into two parts, okay? And we're going to spend the most part Uh, the most of our time on the first part, but the two parts are there is a great dissension at the beginning of the chapter and there is a a sharp contention at the end of the chapter. A great dissension and a sharp contention, right? This is in verse 2 and verse 39. Verse 2 says, no little dissension came about. No little dissension. That's a great dissension. And verse 39, sadly, at the, at the end of the chapter, it says there is a sharp contention between Barnabas and Paul so that they separated from each other, okay? So 
One has to do with the truth of the gospel. The great dissension has to do with the truth of the gospel. And the sharp contention has to do with the work of the gospel. The truth of the gospel and the work of the gospel are both under attack and being threatened here. And um, um, that's what we're going to look at. So the truth and the work. All right. So let's take this one at a time. The great dissension is related to a heresy of what must you do to be saved and what is being um, forced and promoted is in verse one. It says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot, cannot be saved. Okay. So that's a problem. That is a problem. That is promoting a salvation by at least partially works. And verse five is similar. It says, it is necessary, necessary, right, to circumcise them and charge them to keep the law of Moses. So the problem is some of the brothers are teaching that how do you get saved? You get saved by believing in Jesus and getting circumcised. And unless you practice this Old Testament practice, you cannot be saved. And so what's being promoted is how do you get saved? Well, you may may need to believe in Jesus, but certainly you need to keep the law of Moses. That's a huge problem. So there's a lot of dissension, discussion, and eventually a number of the brothers go to Jerusalem, the source of this error, to confront it and uproot it. Okay, and now this is something worth fighting for, right? And Jude, you know, Jude tells us this in in his his short letter, verse three. He says that we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to God's people. We must contend. So if something is infringing upon the basic tenets of the gospel, right? Who God is, who Christ is, the person, the work of Christ, and what must you do to appropriate uh, God's work in Christ to be saved, then, right, Jude says you must contend. And Luther was Luther was famous for this in church history, right? He he famously said, "Peace if possible, but truth at all costs." Peace if possible, but truth at all costs. And so Luther, you know, rose up to fight in his day, um, in a sense, in the spirit of Paul in Acts chapter fifteen. And so, the, how do they how do they resolve this? Well, first off, you have to understand that there is a difference in the ceremonial law and the moral law. Right, so this, so circumcision is part of the ceremonial law, um, which Jesus fulfilled and terminated, and circumcision is ultimately a picture of our baptism in Christ. You can look at Colossians two, uh, eleven through twelve. Let me just flip there real quick, and Paul says that we were circumcised with a circumcision not made, not made with hands. In the putting off of the body of the uh, in the putting off of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ, buried together with Him through baptism. So, Old Testament circumcision is New Testament baptism. That is how we cut off the flesh. We get baptized into the death of Christ. That is our spiritual circumcision that cuts off and terminates our flesh. Um, okay, so they get to Jerusalem, and basically we have a beautiful and crystal clear um, requirement for salvation in verse 9 and 11. It says, God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith, by faith. 
And then verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we are saved in the same way as they are. So how are we saved? We have two crystal clear requirements here, which are essentially one requirement, two sides of one coin, but by faith through grace. And there's no distinction, no matter who you are, there's one way of salvation by faith through grace. So this is, you know, in essence, one passage in the New Testament that forms the basis of uh, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone is how we're saved. So this is a great uh, resolution to that question. How can we be saved? By faith through grace. Grace is who Christ is and what he's done. That is God's grace to us. That's his free gift that we do not merit and which brings in God's doing to remedy our inability through the perfect God-man living of Jesus, his sinlessness, and his substitution for us on the cross, taking our place, paying our debt, raising from the dead, and releasing his life, canceling our debt, and introducing his uh, forgiveness and life. That's grace. That is the, that's grace. Grace is on God's side. How do we appropriate who God is in Christ and what he's done in Christ? We appropriate that. We appropriate that by faith, not by works. And faith is to believe and to receive in who Christ is and what he's done. So verse 10, right in the middle of these two verses says, if we include any other clause, right, any other requirement into our statement of faith beyond faith and grace in Christ alone, then that becomes a yoke upon the neck that we're not able to bear. That becomes a, a uh, human requirement that um, is unbearable, and God himself would not, would not do that. So that's the resolution on how can one be saved. Acts 15 is a huge victory against that um, corruption of the truth and that distortion of the truth that brings in even a tiny element of human works. Now, Paul, you know, we need to read Acts chapter 15 with Galatians, the whole book of Galatians in view, because Paul alludes to this chapter in the book of Galatians, and he expands on it. He expands on it uh, in his teaching in the book of Galatians. Let me just read these couple of verses in Galatians 5 that are very clear and reference this uh, dissension, this debate. Um, And this is Galatians 5, 2 through 6. He says, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So, Christ and circumcision are mutually exclusive. If you become circumcised as a means of salvation, Christ will profit you nothing. And he says, I testify again to every person who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So you bite the hook and you get reeled into the, to the, to the whole boat. He says, you've been brought to not separated from Christ. You who are being justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, by the Spirit, out of faith, eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith avails, operating through love. So, beautiful verses that reference Acts chapter 15, where Paul, in the starkest language, in the most, you know, scathing critique of 
the law and circumcision as a means for salvation, Paul says, if you take that path, you get separated from Christ, you fall from grace, you get brought to naught, and you get implicated and caught up and enslaved and entangled in the yoke of the entire law. You get brought back uh, to the Old Testament. So Paul radically rejects that as a means of salvation. So there's no distinction uh, in how you get saved and who can get saved uh, in that way. Okay, but um, at the end of this chapter, after this great success, we have another tragedy, and that is between Barnabas and, and Saul, there's a sharp contention. Uh, they stay around in Antioch after that solution, uh, preaching the gospel, uh, announcing and teaching the word of the Lord. And yet, as they go back out on their second trip, there's a sharp contention and they split. They split from each other. And so this is a sad thing in the work that there is a lack of oneness and that hinders the work. Um, and we'll see how that plays out in, in the next ch- ca- couple of chapters. But Paul takes up Silas into the work and Barnabas, we, we never hear from again. Um, but it's it's a big thing to maintain the oneness in the work between uh, brothers and sisters working together for the gospel so that um, there's no hindrance to the ongoing of the gospel. If we're going to reach the end, uttermost parts of the earth so that all have a chance to hear the gospel, then we need everyone working together and we can't, we can't afford to have setbacks and separations through a lack of oneness there in the work. Okay, so that's how the chapter ends. Just a small little point there. Um, and so one more point here in this chapter is, you know, there are some weather signs that not all is solved here. There are a few little hints that there is a lingering problem that will surface again in chapter 21. And that is the response after we have that crystal clear, clear kind of statement of the way of salvation Something is mentioned, two other things are mentioned in verse 21. James says, um, you know, in verse 19, that we do not harass the Gentiles. That sounds a little negative. Um, Just don't harass them. And then he says in verse 20, but we must write to them to abstain from food that is strangled and from eating blood. So that actually is a tiny little requirement that becomes a problem. There's still a distinction being upheld between some ceremonial uh, regulation that would separate, in a sense, um, you know, full Jews from, you know, Gentile converts. And then in verse 21 is a real red flag. It says, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who proclaim him in the synagogues. And that doesn't sound too bad, right? Um, the Old Testament is, is still taught, right, even today. We teach it uh, with Christ in view, right, in prophetic view and typological view. But what is being advocated here is Moses and those who proclaim him. And this should ring a bell back to Paul's first preaching in chapter 9, verse 20. Let me flip there and read that. It says, immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, that this one is the Son of God. So when you compare these two verses, Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, and James is is pointing out that Moses 
that there is those who proclaim Moses in the synagogue. So the question is, who are we proclaiming, Jesus or Moses? And this doesn't seem like a huge issue yet, but we'll see how this develops in chapter 21. And eventually what we need in this book, in the book of Acts, is to make a full transfer from the Old Testament practices and those outward requirements of the law and jump fully into the New Testament way of faith and grace and Christ. So we'll pick up on that in chapter 21. So this chapter we've got uh, the, the, the brothers contending for the faith against the heresy of uh, works, salvation, in the form of circumcision. And we have a clear statement that we're saved by faith, through grace, in Christ. And then we have a warning that as we promote that glorious truth uh, and take that and export that truth to the ends of the earth, that we maintain the oneness uh, amongst the workers so that the gospel doesn't suffer any setbacks. Amen.